Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Today's passage is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 and 11 through 16. And I invite you to turn there. I, therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then from verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, good morning again. And uh, as I said before, we uh, have uh, a guest speaker this morning. Uh, and I'm excited to introduce uh, Paul to you. Uh, Paul Eichel is uh, well known to, to many of us, if not most of us. Uh, he's, uh, he and his wife Cheryl have been involved in our church for 20 years-ish, yeah, longer than I have, I know. And um, he, uh, we are presenting him this morning as our candidate for Associate Pastor of Discipleship. Uh, this position, it's, uh, it's, uh, we've uh, reconfigured a little bit our associate pastor position as we said goodbye to Andrew and Heidi as they left. And uh, we're moving that from a worship position, a worship student ministry and worship, to a student ministry and discipleship, just more general discipleship ministries. And so this position is primarily, it's, it's a lead, the lead, as I've described it, is student ministry. And then also, as we can squeeze out the time, and I'm always an optimist about what I can get done in a set number of hours, so Paul's going to have to learn to live with that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, but, but also, as the Lord provides time, uh, working in areas of family ministry, uh, adult discipleship, and evangelism. And Paul is gifted in all of those areas, especially that student ministry. I, he has been doing student ministry his whole life. Uh, for about 10 years of it, he got paid for it. Uh, and he worked at a church uh, in, uh, in Minnesota for five years as a youth director years ago and also uh, with a ministry here in Atlanta called Tentmakers uh, some time ago. Uh, but when he wasn't doing it vocationally, he was doing it as a teacher. 
And uh, he has a long career as a teacher as well, a teacher and a coach. And many of us, that's the main way we know Paul is as a teacher and a coach. But uh, he's also a disciple maker. And that's why I'm, I'm, I think he's a great fit for this position. I was so thrilled. Uh, as you might imagine, it's always a little you know, in my position when Andrew came and shared with me early on in the process that he and Heidi were considering a call somewhere else. You're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I, and when Paul came to me a few weeks later and said he'd been praying about that, um, oh boy, here we go. Uh, he's excited about what the Lord might be calling him to. So uh, it is my pleasure to introduce him. Paul, if you'd come on up, and I will just real, uh, I, will, I will pray a prayer of blessing upon you and the rest of us, and then get out of the way. So let's pray. Good. Lord, we thank you so much for, for Paul and Cheryl and their family and uh, the, the, the role, the, the key role that uh, they have had and he has had here in, in Grace Point Church as a leader, as a servant. And uh, Lord, we would just ask you to bless him now as he shares with us his vision for ministry, his own sense of call, and this position specifically, just from the word, Lord, as he opens up Ephesians to us for a few minutes. Uh, may the words of his mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning. My, my name is Paul Eichel, and I would like to be your new pastor of discipleship. <laughs> I, I hear myself saying those words, and, and it still sounds strange. Uh, it's kind of awkward. It's humbling at the same time. Um, you know, early on when I was first interviewing, I made the comment to the search committee, it's really weird to be coming to a job interview when I already have a key to the building. Uh, and later on, the search committee said to me, uh, we're going to have a candidate weekend to introduce you. Okay. Uh, and you have to preach. Okay. So I get to preach. Uh, what verses do I choose? How do you just pick? Well, you can, anything, they say. Um, so I thought about some verses that talk about the church. There's one in Hebrews. Uh, Let us consider how we may spur one another on in love and good deeds. And then I thought, no, Don's doing Hebrews. <laughs> I better leave that one for him. Um, Ephesians has some good verses about the church, so maybe let's look there. As I looked at Ephesians, I saw there's a lot of verses about the church. Like many of the letters that Paul sent, it was written to a church. But here, uh, Ephesians, it was a church where he lived, a church where he served for many years. That sounds kind of familiar. Uh, in this letter, he wasn't confronting an error in teaching. Uh, he was helping the Ephesians better understand God's purpose for the church, the greater church. And here we go. Uh, so he write, uh, there's notes in my study Bible that suggest that uh, Paul wrote this letter, and I put it here, to help the Ephesian people appreciate and live the high goals God has for his church, to bring praise and glory to God, not just as individuals, but as a collection of reconciled and saved individuals united together in one body, the church. A united church that proclaims and demonstrates unity of God, God the Father, Jesus, God's Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Ephesian church, this is a church that Paul cared about, where he was connected. This is a church where the people cared back, where they were connected with each other, and they were looking to make a difference in the community. So I thought... What if instead of looking at a brief passage or a single teaching, we looked at this whole letter uh, as Paul reveals God's purposes for the church, 
Can we find God's purpose for Grace Point and other churches too in this letter to the Ephesians? Can we find direction for how to do ministry together? Now that sounds like a big task. In fact, Margaret this morning said, you're going to do the whole book? Uh, uh, it's a, it is a big task, so we better pray. Uh, Father God, I just ask that you would help us this morning to, to get the overall sense of, of your message in Ephesians, to get the sense of how you're calling the church, to praise you, to honor you, and, and, and what our role is. Uh, give us a picture this morning of how you're working then. Give us a picture of how you're working in this community now that you could, could work in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I titled this first section from Ephesians 1 through 3, Pursuit, Purpose, and Prayers. And that's because I've heard that if you're going to be pastoral, you should have three points, all start with the same letter. <laughs> so, uh, and what I've got a lot of different passages we're going to click on this morning, uh, just to kind of show some of the points. Uh, so the first one, showing pursuit. Uh, for in. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, For he chose in us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He pursues us. He's, he's chosen us. Uh, six years ago, when my son David and his wife Carrie, uh, they were adopting Mesa as an infant, they had to pursue him. When he was born, they went down to, to Texas, uh, down to Houston to get him. Mason didn't do anything to get adopted, but he was brought into that new family. He's growing up in that family. Eliza was born eight months later, and now there's others that are being brought into that family as they foster and foster to adopt. That's, that's what God's done with our church. That's what he's doing here. God brings us together to be part of his family. From verse 11 and 12, in him we are also chosen in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In him, Jesus, we, the church, were chosen, were pursued, so that we, the church who already knows Christ, might praise him, God the Father. That's our purpose, that second P. In chapter 2, there's two sections. And in my Bible, uh, the first section was titled, Made Alive in Christ, uh, followed by One in Christ. We're made alive in Christ individually, and then we're brought together in one church. We are all messed up, uh, but starting with verse 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ, verse 7, that in the coming ages, is that now? He, the Father, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness through Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, a gift of God, chosen in pursuit again, that for we, individuals and now together the church, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Back to our purpose. From verse 11 and 13, Paul looks at Jewish and Gentile believers, and he identifies more of Jesus' purpose. He says his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two. And I looked at it, it doesn't really refer to a man, that, that one new man is one new church of both Gentiles and Jews. A lot of times we hear people say, the church, uh, it's, it's not a building, it's the people. I've even said that to my, myself with youth and stuff. Um, but Paul kind of flips the analogy here 
and compares the church to a building starting in chapter 2. Verse 20, he says, We, the church, are built on a foundation of the apostles, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, joined together to become a temple in the Lord. And you, the church, are being built together to become a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Paul prays for the Ephesians twice in the first three chapters. So that was my third P, prayers. As we read it as applying to us, as well as the ancient Ephesians, we can hear Paul in chapter 1 tell us that he keeps asking that God may give us wisdom to know him better, that we may know God's power through Christ who is the head of the church. In chapter 3, Paul says that he prays that our church will be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit and that we will understand how much Christ loves in a way that is deeper than head knowledge, all for God's glory. I feel like I'm clicking through a lot, clicking fast here, but a lot of... Now we get to the verses that Teresa read for us this morning in chapter 4. Paul starts out urging us to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And that might be a, a good spot for a pause. Uh, Cheryl's had some people ask her how I felt called to this new position. So maybe I thought I should explain that a little bit. Many of you have heard parts of my background. Some of you heard this morning in Sunday school too. Uh, I'll try to briefly put it together here. I grew up in a strong, practicing Catholic family. I came to saving faith during my first year of college, and I was active in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Cheryl and I attended the Urbana Missions Conference uh, my junior year of college, and that was part of InterVarsity, a three-year conference they had. Uh, for Cheryl and me, that, that conference changed our focal point in our direction. Uh, prior to that, I thought, you know, I'm going to get a job. At that point in probation was what I was thinking. And, you know, and if I can share about Christ at the same time, that's good too. But after that conference, it changed the focal point. It went from, uh, instead of simply getting a job, uh, I wanted, we wanted to be somewhere where our faith impacted where we lived and worked. To be honest, at that point, we felt like God was leading us into urban missions. I was vocationally trained uh, to be working with at-risk delinquent youth, uh, had been interning in uh, Hennepin County, Minneapolis probation. Uh, and we were making connections to serve with Youth for Christ in a new youth guidance program in Illinois. That new position didn't pan out. But in the meantime, we'd been volunteering with Cheryl's home church in Minnesota uh, with the youth group there. Uh, and then while I was doing that, I heard about Tentmakers Youth Ministry training. Tentmakers comes out of a Lutheran background, but they have an evangelical heart. And what their vision was to place self-supporting uh, youth workers, youth directors in churches where they could uh, share the gospel uh, with youth. So they, they would place you in usually mainline churches. And we actually got placed uh, here. <laughs> uh, they, they, well, let's see. We saw this as an opportunity to help kids with the, uh, reach, the reach, reach them with the gospel. Uh, and one thing for tent makers, uh, this training for me, it solidified a value that God chooses to work primarily through the local church. So God took Cheryl and me, this uh, couple that kind of grew up suburban and who had a heart for urban missions, and they placed us in the small town of Atlantic. Uh, back at, that was in 1981. And we've loved raising our family in small towns. Uh, we served at a mainline church here for five years. I grew a lot, but it also beat us down. 
we realized how much we needed to be part of a church family that was committed to following Christ as well. We, we looked at some of the evangelical uh, denominations that we agreed with theologically and began looking for other uh, youth ministry positions. I also attended Sun Life Discipleship Training. It was a program that was recommended by the E-Free Church in Minnesota. Uh, God led us to a great evangelical free church there, uh, the Evangelical Free and Covenant Church combined, called Elam Mission in Cocado, Minnesota, where we served for five years. In working with the youth, uh, God was also training me at the same time uh, in Christian worldviews. I had not been exposed to that previously, uh, and that really cemented that part for me. Uh, with Pastor Wally's encouragement, I began looking at the possibility of getting into teaching. And there were other youth, uh, we had a group of youth pastors in town that all met together once a week. We always said, we, we, we meet twice a week, once for prayer and once for basketball. And both, both were required. <laughs> uh, but some of them talked to me, and, and when I said I was going to go into teaching, and they're like, why are you quitting youth ministry? And my answer was always the same. I'm not quitting youth ministry, I'm just changing venues. Uh, God has a sense of humor, and this place, Atlantic, that we never thought, we, when we left, we never thought we'd be back, he brought us back. <laughs> uh, and so I've been coaching uh, and teaching and working with students in the community and this church uh, since 2004. And I think that, that worldview training that I learned at Elam, that was one of the things that God trained me, equipped me to work in the public schools and still stay grounded in him. Our culture right now is changing, I think, rapidly. And I think God has high standards for what the, he wants the church to be the light in the darkness. And so with, with each youth vacancy we've had over the last few years, I've kind of wondered, God, do you want me back in this? And I've kind of felt like God's saying, no, you know, you're in the schools. Uh, that's where you are now. Um, but right now, uh, our... Right now, I believe it's the time. Uh, our church needs to continue to praise God, equip its believers, and engage the community with the love of Christ. I think I've been trying to do that in my own life uh, as I work in the schools, but really, right now, I feel like it's a bigger imperative uh, to help the church do that more and more as a body of believers. The church needs to live out God's purpose. The contrast with our culture is going to continue to get more pronounced. So, it said, live a life worthy of the call you received. Pastor Don loaned me this uh, commentary here on Ephesians by Osborne. And uh, when it said, uh, live a life worthy of the calling you received, Osborne interprets that phrase, live a life worthy, to walk worthily. I had to keep practicing that. I kept, worthily didn't come out cleanly. Uh, walk worthily. And that reminds me of my favorite verse from Act, Acts 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip was walking beside the chariot when he heard the Ethiopian uh, reading Isaiah. And he went, uh, Philip was there in position, so he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And so Philip began with that verse to explain uh, what that verse, but then the whole gospel. And, and, and he uh, led that man right there to salvation and then baptism right along the side of the road. My goal is to, and has been for a long time, is to be walking alongside others so that when they have questions, I'm in a position to offer them Christ's good, God's good news. I believe the greatest discipleship happens when we're sharing and serving together. 
And I hope at Grace Point we can raise up a whole generation of walk-alongsiders. So that's what I feel is my call. In Ephesians 4, Paul is calling the church as well, calling them to live out as an example of unity. Paul identifies four ways that unity manifests itself, starting with verse 2. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Keep the unity of the Spirit through bonds of peace. And I feel like I felt the weight of all of these through this calling process. I'm, I'm the same person, but I got a new role ahead of me. Um, on one hand, I don't want to be different. Cheryl has asked me, do you think people will treat us different? <laughs> on the other hand, I need to be different. And so I've got growth areas. I need to keep growing. For example, I feel like I often have an attitude of prayer, but I'm not always in prayer enough. Um, I want to be in personal study more, but sometimes I let the busyness of life push the study out. Uh, we had a video for the middle school a couple weeks ago. Uh, Tony Evans was asking the middle school students, what kind of tea bag do you want to be? Are you dippers or fully immersed? And Tony Evans' point was that we need to be so saturated, immersed in God's word, that his character would just ooze out of us. So as I'm standing up here, my hope uh, in coming to this church, or from this church, (laughs) into this position, is to be as open and transparent as I can be so that we can do this thing called ministry together. Uh, During one of my interviews, the search committee asked me if I had any concerns taking this job I said, I have fears. <laughs> um, I, I think I relate well with students, but as I begin connecting with students at deeper levels, uh, are the students going to be open to me uh, changing that type of relationship we have? How will the church accept me in this new role? Does my being familiar uh, make me seem less qualified? And then we got this job description here. I have a lot of vision for what can be done, but how will, how will it play out? What are the guidelines? Youth is obviously a big priority, but there's lots of other aspects that will take planning and thought. Will I, be, um, will I share uh, this load, or will I be tempted to follow my own natural inclinations and just try to do it myself? When I look at this job description, it's not just my just job description, it's the church's job description. I read the first line of the position summary. And the print just got smaller. (laughs) The pastor of discipleship will help people of all ages grow as disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. I think you could easily switch the word church there. The church will help people of all ages grow as disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. I see my role as finding ways to become more intentional to help all of us as a church become stronger at growing as disciples. I noticed something in Osborne's commentary here. When Pastor Don preached through Ephesians in the early COVID years, uh, well, Pastor Don, he he did preach through Ephesians in the early COVID years. As I was going through this book, uh, it was interesting. I could see what parts Don had highlighted. Uh, And there was a quote from Osborne that was underlined and starred in the margin. uh, And it refers to what I've been sharing. Osborne writes, It's not enough for church leaders to perform their pastoral duties. They are responsible to the Lord to get lay people participating in that work. 
They do this by teaching them how to minister to one another effectively. The fully equipped saints are then responsible to do the work of the ministry. No one is exempt. As Teresa read, starting in chapter 4, verse 11, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the mission statement for the church. That's discipleship. So now we come to the nuts and bolts. Uh, the rest of Ephesians uh, 4 through 6 presents a process of discipleship. We all start in the same place, unbelieving. Paul describes it. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from a life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Discipleship starts with us caring about lost people. And the problem I have, I know this verse in my head, but do I believe it in my heart? I want to. Uh, people are dark in their understanding, and they're separated from a life of God. We see this every day. I see it with all the messed up kids in my classroom. We see it with broken marriages in this community. Uh, you know, we see it with people who are numb in their lives with whatever escape they can find. We see it with people who are rewriting rules for what's good. But what do we do about it? Unless we're confronted with it directly with people that are close to us, too often we, we do little more than just shake our head. Our capacity to, to love lost people needs to be much deeper. And I don't love enough. I can't love enough on my own. And so we need God's help. We need to pray. And this is one of those awkward moments. I, I want to spontaneously pray, but this is a planned, speech, <laughs> planned message. But we're, I'd like to pray right now. Uh, because I, I need that love, and, and I think we all need that love. Father God, we see people hurt in our community. And, and, and I know... I'm speaking for myself, but I'm guessing other people too. We confess that we don't love as we ought. Um, we get frustrated uh, with others, and, and I mean, we don't see them with your heart. Help us to see people around us with your heart, to see how you're calling, how you're leading, how, how we can be your instrument and tools uh, to, to share, to give glory to you, that they may see that and know that too. Amen. We read before that some are called to be evangelists, to reach out to lost people. But if God's not calling us to that individually, he is calling us to that corporately. Uh, and we all need to help and encourage those who are following God's call to witness to the lost. That's one way that we can be a unified uh, church for each other. Discipleship can take many forms, and so there's many words of Paul in Ephesians that reflect training and discipleship. You heard. You were taught. Do not do this. Do not do that. But do. Replace those destructive behaviors with Christ-like qualities. Be imitators of God. Don't be deceived. 
Live as children of the light. Make the most of every opportunity. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That one's for Pastor Andrew. Uh, Give thanks to God the Father for everything. Submit to one another. As I was writing this message, I was thinking about discipleship. My brain, I, I daydream back to the handyman business I've had the last few years. I thought back to when Cheryl and I first got married. I didn't know much of anything about home repair, but I got a book. <laughs> and I was set. Um, we, we got an apartment, and to get a discount on the apartment, we became managers of the building there. And I didn't, <laughs> like I said, I didn't know much, but I had a book. Um, I got a call to fix a, dripping, to fix a dripping bathroom faucet. And I still remember sitting there on the bathroom floor. I had a few tools in my hand and an open book. And the lady came in and looked at me, and she's like, do you know what you're doing? And somehow I got through it, but it wasn't pretty. Uh, I had a good book with good directions, but it still wasn't easy, and I wasn't very effective. Probably the next time that lady just fixed the sink herself. I'm not sure. The first time we moved to Atlantic, we got a house in town, and I wanted to make some bedroom space out of the attic. We didn't have much money, so I thought, I'll recycle the drywall that's up here. It, it was cheap quarter-inch stuff that was so old, the, the paper was orange. I got done. It was a giant jigsaw puzzle and mess, and I, I, all these broken pieces I would put on and then try to tape them together in mud. It was, it was ugly. Uh, oh. I had good intentions and an idea, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I made something that was barely functional, but it was not pretty and not very effective. We left Atlantic, went to Minnesota, came back to Atlantic in 2004. And another teacher uh, that I was working with, he was a licensed contractor, and he hired me to start working with him in the summers. I learned how to drywall and how stupid I was to think I could recycle it. I learned how to roof, how to pour concrete, how to build decks. As I was working next to Mike, I started replacing windows and doors. I did some siding. I took out some walls. He showed me how to use his van full of tools. I gradually got my own bucket of tools, uh, so much so that Mike started, he started calling us three men in a bucket. <laughs> I worked with other skilled people, including from our own church family, Doug and, and Lee. Uh, my skills got better, and when I took a break from teaching, I was even able to, I had enough skills that I could support my family and make a difference for seniors who were needing help with their homes. Over time, my own kids and other students would work with me on projects, uh, and I've been able to share with them what I've learned. My son David, he took, uh, he later on, he took construction classes in college, and he hopes to have a calving operation someday, but right now, he's currently doing drywall. Uh, and he would never recycle drywall. Uh, he got trained by different people in his life, and he's using those skills to support his family now. And as he works on his own home, my grandson Mason is starting to learn those skills too. That's what discipleship is. You do the same thing on your farms. You do the same thing in your kitchen. Somebody who knows how to live this life brings others alongside to help and to train. When you're faithful in small things, then they're trusted with greater things. As a student learns, they become more like the teacher, more skilled and more independent. They, in turn, become the teacher and share what they learn with others. As a church of united individuals, we need to be more transparent in living out our faith, 
pulling, inviting others to walk with us, to join us, to minister beside us. That's discipleship. At the end of Ephesians, Paul's focusing on three particular groups uh, for discipleship in the Christian life. One was husbands and wives. He teaches how husbands and wives should love and respect each other. For children and parents, he reinforces that children should obey parents. But he also instructs parents, be thoughtful about how you raise your children. For workers and bosses, he gives direction for how to represent Christ in the workplace, whether you're the worker or the one in charge. The pastor discipleship position that we're looking at here focuses on three areas also, and there's some overlap. Uh, Student discipleship, family discipleship, congregational discipleship. These are all areas to think strategically. How can we together live transparently in unity with each other? That's part of the job that I'm looking forward to. How can we create things that we can do together? When uh, Pastor Kyle, several years ago, was leading our student ministries, he had separate names for each of the groups, uh, for the junior high and the senior high ministries. He called the junior high group Equip, and the senior high students Engage. And I like the, I love those titles, actually. I, it reflected something that I'd learned in Sun Life training. In middle school, and for the new believer, it's a time of foundations, a time of equipping, uh, a time of training. High school students who've been equipped, and and mature believers as well, they need to be engaging, sharing their unique giftedness with the church and with each other together. Equipping and engaging, that's discipleship together. Paul doesn't use those two terms in Ephesians, but the principle is there. In Ephesians 6, Paul is instructing the people to be equipped with the familiar armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take a helmet of salvation and a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Be equipped. And maybe it's a stretch, but I think Paul immediately follows the idea of equipping the believer with the armor of God by challenging the believer to engage. He says right after that, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, Be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so I will will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We can't engage without prayer. That's our first step. That's how we begin to impact the culture and bring glory to God to the world bring glory to God to the world around us. And then Paul asks the Ephesians to pray as he engages, and we need to do the same for each other. Pray and engage together. Finally, we get to the end of Ephesians, and we're introduced to, well, yesterday I decided I was going to call it Tychicus, and then I asked Pastor Don this morning, and he said, so I got 
I have Tychicus in my head, but it's Tychicus. Tychicus. Okay. <laughs> Tychicus. So, uh, we're introduced to Tychicus at the end of Ephesians. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Tychicus is an example for us of being discipled and then carrying on. It's always interesting to me how these no-name people end up in Scripture. Actually, Tychicus is mentioned briefly. Okay, he has a name. He's not a no-name. But uh, he's mentioned briefly in three other letters, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He's described here and in those other verses as a faithful servant, a dear brother, a communicator, and an encourager. And from what's said there, I can also infer that he was reliable, he was known, he was willing, he was discipled, and he was trusted. Sometimes when I read about Paul, Paul's like too big a character. Uh, he's such a big character, I, I sometimes feel like I can't relate to him. But Tychicus is someone that I can strive to be like. Will we all be Tychicuses in our church today? That's our prayer. Let's close. Father God, we thank you for this church. I thank you for this church that, that I've been able to be a part of for so many years, that we've raised our family, that has strengthened us and grown us. Uh, and we want to do that for others, Lord. We, we, all of us, we're here because we believe in you and what this church is doing. And we want to make it stronger in our community. We want to be following you, to praising you. We want to love you. Help us to be discipled, to show as we grow, each of us individually and together as a body, unified, to make a difference in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.